0: Before we start the podcast, I'd just like to take a few minutes to speak to you about our industry. As many of you know, COVID-19 has brought the live event industry to its knees. In the U.S., this industry employs 12 million people and contributes $877 billion to the country's GDP. Millions and millions of us have lost our income and our livelihood through no fault of our own. 77% of the industry has lost 100% of its work. We were the first to shut down, and we will be the last to come back. And right now, we're barely staying afloat, and we need your help. Please, please, please contact your representatives in Washington, D.C. Tell them they need to extend pandemic unemployment assistance, and they need to pass the Restart Act. This bill will provide our industry with financial assistance, which we so desperately need. Visit WeMakeEvents.org or SaveOurStages.com for more information and a convenient way to contact your political representatives with ease. Please help us keep the lights on. Thanks for your time. And now, please enjoy our
1: interview with Fabian Yeager. You know, it's the collaboration. Yeah. And it's the one thing that all these projects have in common is we, we collaborate. I am always thankful for the team that I'm surrounded by, but not just our team that's devoted to lighting, but rigging and audio and video. and Yeah. We work with wonderful people.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talk About the Industry. Today, our guest is the illustrious Fabian Jaeger. Fabian Jaeger is a lighting designer whose broad spectrum of work encompasses the world of theater, awards programs, corporate theater, architectural lighting, and themed attractions. Fabian's many corporate clients include Microsoft, Adobe, Verizon, Honda, Intel, Boeing, Miller, Nintendo, Chevron, and General Motors. His lighting design work has also been featured at the Kennedy Space Center, Apollo Saturn V Center, the renovation of the top of the world, the observation deck at the World Trade Center, New York City, Disney World's Epcot Center, and many, many more. Fabian holds a master's degree in lighting design from New York University and is the founder of Jaeger Design, LLC. Welcome, Fabian.
1: Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Good.
0: We, uh, uh, I wanted to bring you on. First of all, I'm really excited to have you. I wanted to bring you on the podcast um, as much because you are one of the most successful lighting designers that I know, but also because you kind of occupy a space that I think a lot of us, when I got started in the industry, I didn't really know existed. Um, So do you want to talk about kind of what projects you normally see during the year?
1: Sure. The, um, you know, pre-COVID. Yeah. Jaeger Design is and was and and currently is uh, primarily focused on um, lighting design for corporate events, for Mm -hmm. large keynote presentations, um, large, small, varying sizes, single exhibits, entire exhibit halls, community spaces. And by community spaces, those are corporate community spaces. They're lounges. They're where Mm -hmm. people come and congregate at this time and for the past number of years we have really been focusing purely on corporate work yeah it it's not something that you may have heard about depending on where you had gone to school or or um it happened at nyu one of the design professors was uh, a scenic designer for corporate events i think in those days they were doing the large coca-cola events yeah and and we would hear a little about it, but we'd have no access to it whatsoever out of the classroom. And, you know, being in New York, your access was theater. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, your life before NYU. Um, I'm, I'm interested in how you, you know, how you came across lighting or theater and, and why you got interested in it and sort of the environment that brought you to that kind of education.
1: So I, I, Grew up just outside of New York City in Rockland County. Uh, New York was our our town. Um, yeah. We were 30 minutes from the George Washington Bridge. And in those days, we were another 15 minutes from Midtown. Wow. Uh, my parents would attend the theater and um, we had subscriptions to the symphony and to the opera. And, and we'd often go to Broadway shows. And if it, I was sort of the designated hitter for my father when he was couldn't go with my mother, I would take his place, and we would go in, and she'd go, "Well, we're going to the opera today, so wow, get ready." <laughs> and, and you know, and that was from the time I was eight, right up all the way through high school. you know it's, it's one of those things that you don't know what you have, yeah, until you reach back and realize the privilege that you had to, to do that. In those days, you know, a Broadway show wasn't you, you could bring the family. Yeah. Much like a baseball game in New York. You could you could go to Shea Stadium for five dollars. You could do these things and, and your family could join you. It it wasn't an eight hundred dollar a seat experience for the shows. And yeah. So not only did I I had the opportunities with my family because they truly enjoyed it, but we had I grew up at the right time. Yeah. And we weren't locked out. But at the same token, my my parents were very much, um, they loved commercial theater they loved the symphony but we were not i can assure you brought into lower manhattan to see any avant-garde shows (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) in fact i'm not even sure i knew off off broadway existed (laughs) uh, until much later in my life
0: yeah yeah so many of us that are in the industry had uh not necessarily parents that were in the industry, but definitely parents that had an appreciation for it. Right. So then you, you had all of this exposure to it growing up. Uh, did you go into undergrad knowing that you
1: wanted no. to, Oh, really? No, no. You know, I, I, I mean the, the first Broadway show I saw, I don't know, it was eight or 10 and we actually, we went backstage. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly remember being backstage and, and meeting people and, and, it was a great experience but it, it's not one that catapulted me and said oh this is going to be your life's work yeah in, in high school we had a fairly unique situation the, mm-hmm. the theater program and the facility itself wa- was pretty outstanding wow and with that you know i think like everything else it's the people that inspire you and, and in that case I met who would have been my first mentor, who was the, the TD. Mm-hmm. And also the, the heads of the theater program at the high school were truly passionate about the arts and, and yeah. about the creative endeavors that, that you could pursue. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember I, I, my first experience was working on a strike for a show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There I met two of these, what would become mentors for the next two years of my life. Wow. And I ended up spending more and more time and I ended up um, spending more time just getting experience. Yeah. You know, I I think even at that age, you don't realize Mm -hmm. you're getting this experience. I certainly never dreamed that it was going to turn into a career at my exit Mm -hmm. interview with the dean of students Mm -hmm. at the high school. I can specifically remember sitting in with him and he turning to me and going, well, you know, you spend a lot of time in the theater, but what are you going to do with your life? Because you can't do that. <laughs> um, and wow. he, was, he was very serious about it. And I thought, yeah, you're probably right. And I I went to Los Angeles for college. I went to Occidental mm. College and there uh, for four years, I was trying to figure out. You know, really, what am I going to do with my life? And because you can't do theater, but I enjoyed doing theater. So one of the first weeks at Oxy, I went to the theater department, and that Occidental is a small liberal arts college. They had mm-hmm. two very passionate theater professors. They mm-hmm. but they were both they were directing, acting, design. It was soup to nuts. Yeah, sure. I, I walked into the office the first time and. Met Omar Paxson, who hmm. um, remained a lifelong friend I'd had what I thought was just an amazing amount of experience in in lighting and and theater and and why wouldn't you have in one year learned it's about everything you can learn <laughs> that attitude that young attitude of you know you don't know what you don't know, and so what the hell's well, there's nothing really to be afraid of yeah yeah in this situation, there was no there was there was never a thought of failure. Yeah, they had had somebody, they had had a student at Oxy who had been sort of the guy mm-hmm. in lighting who had just graduated, and oh sure. So now the new guy who is a freshman comes in with all this vim and vigor and and, <laughs> and attitude of I can do it, and yeah. I was given again. It's you know, it's the sort of luck of the draw. It's the luck of of the period that I grew up in where yeah. there weren't a plethora of people in doing what I was doing and there weren't hundreds of design programs around the country that were training kids and there weren't my, there wasn't my generation that is now sitting in these seats training younger students sure so I learned by experience I was given the the design for um, the major shows of the year. Wow! You know, I would corral some friends from campus, and we'd spend all night hanging and focusing lights, and circling, <laughs> and plugging into dimmers, and blowing stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, it it was just it it was creative, but it was fun. Yeah. Therein lied. What I was beginning to understand about myself, Mm. which was, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the people, yeah, enjoyed the work, yeah. So fast forward, um, Oxy, my senior year, Mm -hmm. brought in a design professor, Tom Bloom. Oh, wow, and and he really started to sort of hone and train me, taught me how to draft, Mm. hand draft in ink. Wow, an ink. Ooh, that's ballsy. <laughs> In ink, which you know, I realized um, why would anybody ever draft an ink? But like <laughs> that's how he was trained, and yeah. the the support that I got from friends and from faculty at Oxy and from, from. other uh, students, and it was amazing. Yeah, and again, fun. And I, I'll just I'll keep going back to that theme that it was yeah. just a good time and we made it a good time. We'd, we'd work all night and then we'd go down to the beach during the day and sort of nap <laughs> and swim, and then we'd come back and we'd work all night. And it was just, and, and I can remember people going, why does the lighting crew always have so much fun? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to, you want to know that you're having a good time anyway. So yeah. Tom, um, my senior year mm-hmm. was the one that suggested i look at going to graduate school
2: mm. and honestly
1: that was sort of a um i had never one i didn't even know they had graduate programs in design so right sure um it, that's another eye-opening experience and i started to look into it so i i applied to both nyu at y- and yale and i got into nyu and i didn't get into yale and i went to nyu <laughs> that was more intense that where, yeah. what was a true that's where i decided okay this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. I, I was taking on the expense of going there. I took yeah. the loans out to go there. I figured out how to get a graduate assistantship so that my loans would be less. I mm-hmm. I was energized by living in New York. We were living on the Upper West Side. Yeah, You know, in those days, the Upper West Side is where um students lived
3: yeah in manhattan
1: it wasn't we it wasn't necessarily there were some in Brooklyn but not many and so that energy was there and and it was New York and yeah. it was nothing like getting your initial training in New York.
0: Yeah well NYU is a great program was and still is a great program yeah. and and very New York focused. Yes. What kind of a change did you see in yourself at your time at NYU? I mean were you as far as you know obviously it became more as you said, it became much more serious for you as far as like, this is what I want to pursue as, as a career. But as far as the, the, the skills you developed, the practicalities, did you see a huge difference between the training you had gotten from Tom that last year at, at Oxy?
1: Yeah, Tom was, because I, I only had my relationship with Tom for a year, Yeah, and he was just starting out, I think um, he had come out of Michigan maybe, it was his first year teaching. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he's trying to figure out, okay, so how do I take the energy Mm -hmm. and hopefully the talent of this young man and start to mold it into something that can survive in, in this world?
3: Yeah.
1: You know, going to NYU, that program was developed. It was set in stone. It was John Gleason was the head of lighting Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and Lloyd Burlingame was head of scenery. Um, uh, there's a number of other really great uh Fred Bopel was there. So yeah. and you were around some um unreal talent.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I'm I um some of the my contemporaries that I still stay in touch with are mm-hmm. you know, you look around and, and the talent that they displayed at nyu but where talent has taken them in the industry is just phenomenal yeah so you're where at, at oxy i was the only guy mm-hmm. all of a sudden at nyu i'm surrounded no, i mean it's not a big program but yeah. you are surrounded by people that have the same sort of interest passion that you may or hope have for this um for this career yeah one thing i did learn at nyu uh, Mm -hmm. i mean there's so there's so you you learn you learn the technical side you learn how to create a shop order you learn you learn um the drafting and, and you start to understand how to read plays and understand the creative intent and how to collaborate and how to find your visual imagery and how to reach in and 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 become a designer those are yeah. what you hope you come away from but you also come away with no experience whatsoever even if you are lighting shows back to back in their theater right it's not professional experience and all of a sudden you become you've got your mfa and and you go out and you start to work and you find yourself in the back of a truck
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't what i was doing six months ago <laughs> and, so, and, and you know
1: it, part of that is um you might not want to have an attitude when you come out or some people do have an attitude and, yeah. and they, they come out and they move into a different space. And, yeah. you know, for me, I, I, I was going back and forth from California to New York. I'd spend the summers in California working actually as a stagehand at Disney, which is oh, what wow. enabled me to get enough money to survive in New York, along with the loans in the G.A. And it, it, it let me come back to California and and be in Manhattan Beach in the summer and, and that was just sort of that was Matt, I've always tried to control the fun level of my life. Yeah. And and life balance in that way. In those days I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but indeed that's that's really what I was doing. New York sucked in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. All <laughs> well, it took was five days in the car to get out to California.
0: Well, that's interesting that you uh, you know, I, I... I didn't know that about you that you were connected with the West Coast from undergrad on. That makes sense. Uh, because you, you know, had, you know, grew up on the East Coast, had this sort of East Coast graduate education, but you've always been connected with the West Coast, which is where you've spent most of your career. And yes,
1: yes. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, when I got out of NYU, um, mm-hmm. I had a short, spell working for Ken Billington as an, a, a second assistant on Three Musketeers.
3: Oh, okay. How was and that?
1: after that, that was, I think, of the year, it was the biggest musical to have flopped in three days. Ooh. Um, it, which is unfortunate. It was a fun show, and, yeah. and the experience working for Ken was phenomenal. Sure. And what I took away from him was his handwritten magic sheet, and I used that, I think, for the next 15 years. Wow. Ken after opening night, took me out and said, so you should probably never assist again. You are not <laughs> a horrible assistant. You, it, it's not, just don't do it. It's you're you're not going to succeed as an assistant. Wow. And it was zero question that he was right. And, you know, again, fortunately it came early enough in my career that I thought, eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> I knew I wasn't happy and that has followed me all through my career if i'm not enjoying the work yeah i find a way to um, move on and, and find something that i do enjoy
0: yeah i think that resonates with a lot of us you know talking about your how you enjoyed the light hangs in undergrad you know i had a similar experience most of the certainly the lighting colleagues that i have have had a similar experience and you're right you know there's a reason they tell students don't go into this unless you really enjoy it. It's a lot of difficult work that is going to be just drudgery if you don't
1: like what you're doing. Right, and I, you know, I think that's crossed the boards. Hopefully, for people, it's what I try to tell my kids too. Yeah, that find something that you enjoy, and success will follow you. Um, but after after Ken, um, I worked for Danny Franks for two years, and okay, and Danny, he was one of the original New York. Um, TV lighting designers. He oh, and Emmy wow. Farentino and uh, Bill Clagis were all together. Mm. And then Danny and, and Emmy were partners for a while. And then Danny broke off. Mm-hmm. And he had two levels of business he had um, some studio work, okay, um, or some, we'll call it live broadcast work. Gotcha. He did the Billy Graham Crusades for years. Oh, wow. So that's, that's, that's my first foray into large-scale stadium and arena lighting Wow! For, for broadcast. Wow. And he also had Tupperware as a client. And Tupperware did these massive corporate keynote shows. And they were months long in Orlando. At They had their own theater, which was really well-developed. Wow. And they would write a musical, a, a full book musical every year. Oh my God. I started working with Danny and I I went in sort of as an assistant. So I didn't really listen to Ken and (laughs) say, Danny was looking for, wasn't an assistant. He Mm -hmm. was looking for a designer to come in. Um, He would hand me the base plot that was used and he would go, okay, just look at this and now redraw it. Here's the show. Here's all the scenery. Light this show Mm -hmm. and then get in the truck, drive all the gear down there. Load it in,
3: yeah. Design
1: it, and I'll be down a couple weeks later as you're starting to go into programming. Sure, and I'll look at it with you. And yeah. So I would I would light the entire show, and Danny would come in, and he had such a keen eye, mm. both uh, on the Tupperware side, mm-hmm. just in terms of balancing the stage. So yeah. it, it was it, this. We weren't shooting this; there were no cameras, mm. um, but it was just a a learning how to create a balanced look of light on stage yeah um as well as creating all the all the fun effects that you do in a musical
3: yeah sure
1: we were on i can't remember what console some some mega 22 scene console it was still it wasn't this wasn't a computer age yeah yeah um and then I'd go off and do Billy Graham with him where he would be there a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Um, he'd really be lighting it and I would be working with him on the focus, but I really understood where, what his concept of light was about.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, that was just, a, it's everything you do, Matt, it, you can, mm-hmm. it is a continuing education. Every, yeah. every show you take every person you work with every producer designer. Yeah. You're you're, can, you're building relationships and continuing your education, and so so yeah. Danny for and Danny recently passed away. Oh, that's too and, bad. And I'd been in contact with him for uh, all through my career. Yeah, and Danny really, you know, beyond being a great influence in design, mm-hmm. he was a New Yorker. He had six kids. Yeah, he had a family. He balanced a a career against his family, and wow. he was happy. And I. At NYU, I won't say that there was a plethora of happiness, (laughs) but, you know, here Danny was opening doors for me in doing broadcast work and industrials, and little did I realize that the crossover of broadcast to corporate events was going to be so prevalent.
3: Yeah, sure
1: where everything we now do is shot for broadcast. Yeah. No idea then. The knowledge I was gaining and just again a good place to be, right place, right time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, particularly I really want to emphasize what you just said. You you were with Danny, you started your first real um experience where you were lighting with a camera. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I what I see in our industry, even on the theater and and dance side, you know, now in COVID, uh, a lot of companies are transitioning to, they're trying to stream their next season in some capacity, right? And so right. Uh, even having a rudimentary understanding of lighting for camera is beneficial. But in now the larger corporate stuff, uh, you know, they're moving to more of a broadcast format is what it seems like. And whether that's temporary or not, who knows?
1: Well, the larger broadcast for the past I don't know, 10 or 15 years has always been a broadcast. It's just gotten more intensive. In- and, yeah, and, and more focused on that. There's it used to be you were going to record your mm-hmm. show, and the the question would come. We'd always bring up the question with the producer: Are we doing this for the live audience? Or are we doing this for uh broadcast?
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: And many of the projects, many of the reveal shows mm-hmm. we would do the the um, auto reveal shows for Honda, and, and that group. You were always told, "No, this is for the live audience," but in reality the only thing they'd look at after the show is the tape. So yeah. if the tape didn't look good, you'd get a call or you'd know what <laughs> happened. And, and nobody would remember the show was spectacular. right? Obviously your eye sees a lot more in those days. Certainly the camera could. The cameras have gotten so good today that that yeah. the, you still have to balance. I mean, you still really need to look at the monitors and, yeah. and understand what what every camera is seeing. But in those days it was drudgery cameras needed a lot of light yeah put that much light on stage that that was a hazard of working in that period
0: yeah sure well interesting that you uh it's so interesting to me that you uh talk about danny teaching you how to balance the stage so you're you have all of this great theater training from nyu and experience and then suddenly you're working with a broadcast ld and that's where you're really learning about stage balance right
1: Yeah, I i like, you know i i i'm learning i'm continuing to learn there it's not certainly sure. something that you would have um we would have talked about we would have dealt with we would have we would have studied at nyu we would have and even in this studio environment in the shows you're doing you'd, you'd spend hours talking about it yep. but I, I think maybe what it really is is getting more and more experience yeah and that's the key it's You can talk about it at NYU and you can see it, but Mm -hmm. just doing a show or two shows or three shows a year, as opposed to doing multiple shows where, where this is now your job. Yeah. This you've got clients that have paid the end producer a fair amount of money to Mm -hmm. have Looking show, you have many different eyes that are looking at it. You don't have one professor or two professors and a couple of students that are critiquing you. This is this is real life, and so that changes. And and again, it's experience. It it's just continuing to do it and do it and do it and do it.
3: Yeah,
0: I I like how you. uh, I I really like how you put that. You know how every show is a is a learning opportunity, but that doesn't take away from the from what you're saying, which is that you have people you have to answer to. There's no substitute for experience. No. <laughs>
1: this <just> isn't. <laughs> There's not. Yeah, it's. Um, it doesn't mean coming out of school, it, you don't have the talent. Sure. And that talent is so valuable. Yeah. You know, and and you, we all work with people that that rise to the top because of their inherent talent. Yeah, that eye that allows them to create beautiful pictures, whether it's scenic or um, lighting or, or costume, mm-hmm. it, it's that talent needs to be there. And then on top of that, it is the experience that that allows you to continue. You know, there, for years and years, as I would do shows, mm-hmm. I, I got a good friend that would remind me. You know, I wouldn't eat for three days while we're <laughs> being put in and we're doing the focus and. And I, I mean, I would eat, but I, I just might, I would be in a knot um, Yeah. It, for a week before the show. And as it's going in and you're looking around going, Oh my God, is that, that's the trim of the number four electric. Right. Mm-hmm. And we really have the like the right fixtures on there. Is this the right color? Is this, mm-hmm. you know. And how does this blending and then all of a sudden we'd get a couple cues into it and and somebody would tap me on the shoulder and go you know this is really looking nice and yeah you'd, you'd sort of unwind just a little bit yeah <laughs> i know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> but not a lot and yeah over time you know it, it's uh, that has gotten better
0: yeah yeah sure Getting back to your work with Danny, you spent two years with him?
1: I think so. I Something think was, like that. I think it was a sort of 84 ish to uh, 86. And at the same time, I was doing, I had connected through NYU with a producer who was doing um, some dance and variety shows out in Tarrytown. Oh, okay. Became his designer. Mm hmm he and his partner developed an off-Broadway, an off-off-Broadway show called Olympus on My Mind. And I became the designer of that with two other NYU designers. Nice. Um, and that show moved off-Broadway to the Lambs Theater. And by this time i had gotten my 829 card. Yeah. I, this is 1986. I had a show running off-Broadway. And w- uh, with Danny, we were doing the Bicentennial in New York. Oh, wow, we, were, wow. we were doing a big TV Shot of Ellis Island at the same time. Uh, I think Clagis was in doing the Statue of Liberty. There was a massive fireworks show. Wow. My wife at the time was applying to medical school. Okay. Just prior to that, I think in February of that year, I was out in LA doing a show for Danny for Tupperware. We were at the Century Plaza Hotel and it was February and it was Santa Ana's were blowing in my room looked out west and I could see the ocean and you know I had come from LA college I love I always loved living in LA yeah and um we decided there that um Julie was going to go to medical school in LA and we were going to move back so I wow I I felt like I was leaving New York at a great time I yeah I'd been successful and but I also knew that I wasn't necessarily destined to stay in New York and work in theater
3: Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That self awareness is uh, is a huge gift. I think because there are plenty of people that would go to an NYU uh, and think, okay, well, I have to stay in New York mm-hmm. because otherwise, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that you and Julie were uh, were married. Did you meet Julie before NYU? Julie and I met at Oxnell College.
1: Oh, great. Okay. My second year at NYU, she came to New York. We got married in '84 when I graduated from NYU. Great, and it's there she said that um, she was doing work in advertising and said, "I'm I'm not happy doing work in advertising. I'm going to go to medical school." Yeah, but again, you know, we were young and and we didn't have um, we we didn't have a world of boxes of things and yeah. accumulations and kids and dogs and. Yeah. Are the things that come with maturity, I guess. Right. (laughs) 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 I guess, yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh man. Well, that's great. So all right. So Julie's applying to med schools and you're uh and 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 you're and you both end up moving, I guess, back to LA. She she had gotten into it
1: into um school in New York and school Mm -hmm. in LA, and I said, I want to go back to LA. Yeah. And she said I'm happy to go back to California. Yeah. Again, you know, this, Mm -hmm. the, the, the theme of this conversation could be happiness and relationships. Yeah. When I was in LA, um, doing the Tupperware show at Century Plaza, Mm -hmm. I met what turned out to be one of my best friends in life, Rick Jobson. Oh yeah. Rick was my head electrician on that show. Yeah. And we, you know, it's like anything else. We just hit it off. Yeah. Um, I stayed in touch with him. Mm-hmm. I said, Rick, I'm going to come out to California. I'm going to move to California. I'm going to move to LA. And he goes, Great. I'll get you a job at TVI. Wow. And TVI <laughs> was um, just was like that predecessor to ELS. And oh, okay. They were an LA rental company. They were production arts, they were smaller than Production Arts New York. Gotcha. Half of John's business was rental, and the other half was production. And by production, it was um, Hollywood events. Yeah. Premier parties, premiered red carpet. I worked as a staff designer for John mm-hmm. for nine months. And there, you know, I would design. I'd load the truck. I'd right. load it in. I'd ha- I created relationships around L.A., but I'd also had relationships from working at, as a stagehand at Disney sure and and, and, you know i'll take you back quickly if you're Uh going to be if you're going to be a designer you cannot be a stagehand however if you're going to be a designer on the east coast you can be a stagehand on the west coast in those (laughs) days because there was no social media to say what you're doing right yeah you you know i I could play the game of making good money as a stagehand Mm -hmm. to support my design fix yeah on the east coast but when I, i moved back out you know i i I made the the decision that that mm-hmm. okay so now it's time to be a designer. Yeah. Yeah. Which still means you're going to hang your own lights and you're going to you're going to work with everybody and and but you're working the 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 caliber of person you're working with gets is a little higher all of a sudden. And yeah. So Jobson was and it, it was and is an incredible um production manager. Yeah. Uh, in those days he was my head electrician. Yeah. I worked for it, TVI for nine months and then i went in and told john that um i actually was standing in front of his desk and he goes you're going to quit aren't you and i go well yeah but <laughs> but you know i'd like to still design all your shows i just want yeah. to be a freelance designer
2: mm-hmm. and he
1: goes well what are you going to charge me and we we sort of set out a, a rate. And he goes great wow I, I probably cost him much less and and yeah Oh, for the next, I don't know how many years, they mm-hmm. were my biggest clients. Yeah. And then very quickly, mm-hmm. I turned into one of their biggest clients with my shows.
3: Yeah. And
1: I, you know, I always looked at John and thought, you know, you've, you've always treated me fairly. Your shop yeah. is open whenever I need it. The support mm-hmm. I get from you is out of this world. And, and that was my first real shop relationship. Yeah. Um, so important. And so, you know, they, they would do all the Roland exhibits and they would do all the industrials I was doing in, and, and we'd ship from there to New Orleans. We would just, yeah. always and Rick also had a relationship with them. So mm. it wasn't hard to say that we were going to, you know, here's our shop. Here's group yeah. we, we trust. Yeah. So that was, you know, again, it, it's it's about relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I mean, the the particularly when you're when you're on, at least what I've observed, uh, certainly working with you, but also just in my own uh, in my own sort of client list, you know, you get to a certain point, and they, yes, they of course are. I think every good client is budget conscientious, but what the quality of what you're going to deliver at a certain point sort of supersedes the nickel and dime aspect you know
1: yeah absolutely
0: so so then was was that the beginning of jaeger design proper
1: well jaeger design proper yes would it would have been the, um probably the standing in front of john's desk saying that i'm gonna leave yeah um, yeah so i quit john mm-hmm. um julie was in her third year of medical school i think mm-hmm. and and in those days you know and up until I mean, up until yesterday. I would sort of feel like every job you do is the last job you're ever going to do. and uh, Right. But Julie told me one eh, night, by the way, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, honey, because I just quit my job. <laughs> so, you know, that was a, a new awareness that yeah. all of a sudden a new responsibility was, gonna, was coming upon me. Mm-hmm. But it it always seemed to work, and yeah. you know, in those days, I was spent a lot of time with my little boy Jordan, and yeah, we would. Uh, I wasn't doing an over a huge amount of travel, and I might have been doing one show, one major industrial every two or three months, and that that would, that would support me yeah. for that time. But you know, you would, I could spend a lot of time focusing on those designs, and I certainly did. Yeah, spend a lot of time focusing on on this new little baby that's in the family with my wife in medical school wow yeah
0: that's great
1: again it 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 takes me back to you don't know what you don't know and and you might as well just keep moving forward it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) the other alternative isn't good so yeah yeah now
0: uh (laughs) so how uh i i know you uh so many of my network knows you as sort of Uh, it feels like the lighting designer for Microsoft. When did that relationship start? Was that, did that start with Brian Chilling George?
1: No, that started with um, John Bromberg, who uh, preceded John uh, Chilling George in the role Brian is in right now. Mm -hmm. Bromberg was the LA head of staging techniques. When I was both at TVI Mm -hmm. and after gotcha staging at that time with bromberg uh had apple as a client oh wow i would do a couple of shows through tvi for them we would be the lighting vendor and design team for for uh staging's work on the apple shows and a couple of others i i honestly can't remember what some of the other clients were but bromberg and i got along really well Mm -hmm. and he then This is early, early Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. And started to build the first events division of Microsoft. Oh, wow. My first project with Microsoft was I was the designer for a production house called Multimedia, which Mm -hmm. um, did uh, the Honda shows and a number of other industrials I'd been working with them for a couple of years mm-hmm. and there I met Julio Campos who is now Campos Creative and a number of other people have spawned off and created their own production companies. Yeah. We were brought in to do the Windows ninety four launch. Gotcha. Was it Windows ninety four? Ninety five I think. 90 Windows ninety five. Yeah Windows that's 95. it. So it was nineteen ninety five. It was yeah. Jay Leno, it was um Rolling Stones, it was Bill Gates and wow. Um, on the Microsoft campus, and at the same time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I was doing a Cadillac tour with multimedia. I think, mm-hmm. um, and and that tour was uh, starting on at the Cadillac plant. We were rehearsing it there. It was going to be a a unique tent tour. It was going to be for 150 people. They mm-hmm. were gonna, building an AB system and touring it around the country. Yeah, um, and I was doing the initial. Design for it. We were setting everything up um, and testing it out at the Cadillac plant. Gotcha. And so I was traveling back and forth. Uh, you know, it, it was a fairly unique time in my life because i was mm-hmm. I was going from Cadillac, Michigan, old world industrial America. Yeah. Rock quarries in the background. Sure. And from there, I would fly out to Seattle, mm-hmm. where we would land with Mount Rainier on the side and incredible green pines to modern corporate america which was designed after a college campus yeah the youthfulness of the microsoft team at the time and still is yeah we we were doing uh windows 95 was in a tent Mm-hmm. It was also a custom tent on their soccer field, not in their rock quarry <laughs> um, it, you know there were no smokestacks, yeah, and it was always it, and i I did this trip back and forth a number of times because mm-hmm. I had to be um we were we were loading in Microsoft and we were programming um Cadillac, oh wow, <laughs> this business grows because of relationships and people call you yeah and and so somewhere in that period i got a phone call from a group called brc imagination arts okay and they were developing a project called spirit lodge at knott's berry farm oh that was maybe my first or second introduction sort of into this themed entertainment world but it was totally in my wheelhouse in that it was a theatrical experience yeah and i was still doing industrials and Mm -hmm. i I think i was at and this is long not long this is before really the uh the advent of automation right out of out of my just need for speed and change i had my punt file of color yeah i'm standing there Cutting my own color at ELS one day or at TBI, mm-hmm. and Chris Collins walks up and says, "You know, hi, I'm Chris Collins, and I'm I'm interested in in what you do, and you know, if you ever need an assistant, you know, I'd love to come out and work with you."
3: Yeah, wow.
1: And I happened at that time. I was we were doing Spirit Lodge, yeah, and I was doing another, I think Cadillac show, yeah, in Vegas. And I I thought, well, you know, I I really do need somebody in Vegas. And at the same time, I needed somebody at Spirit Lodge. And so both Mark and Chris started with me sort of weeks apart. Wow. And that would have been 25 years ago. Wow. Wow.
0: You never know what door is what is going to open.
2: <laughs>
1: you don't, and you don't know if if you know. And, and part of that is the personalities really meshed well. Yeah, and and their um, inherent abilities really meshed well. Mark really did themed work, and still does incredibly well. And, yeah, and Chris does beautiful work on all of the corporate work, and yeah. and his personality dealing with clients and yeah, adaptability has sort of kept us all together. Uh, Mark left a couple years ago to move over and and do some creative work in the themed entertainment world, but he's actually starting doing another bid with me right now on a project. So, Oh, wow. Great. But that was the true beginning of it being more than just me. Yeah. Yeah. And over time, you know, the work grew enough that they both, were sort of, and had been full-time with me, and we realized, wow, you guys are full-time with me, and, and <laughs> said, do you have a payroll service? And I thought, no. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> is that part of business? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's. It, I think one of, the, one of the missing parts of my education, a mm-hmm. massive missing part of my education, is business. So mine is so much of learn from the people around me and what, yeah. the, what they're doing and from clients, from our clients to, to work with smaller production companies and, mm-hmm. and see how they handle um, contracts and read contracts that, are, that get put in front of you and, yeah. and moving on from there.
0: It's funny for me to hear you say that because when I think of you and your sort of persona in my network i think of you as someone who's a really has a really savvy business mind as far as and i've and i've uh, i've really admired this about you in our work you know understanding what you are and aren't going to get out of a person or a project from a financial side but also from an ability side you know and i see from you a really uh, your ability to come to those understandings is lightning fast. At least it seems like that to me, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I, maybe that's just experience, but I feel like that's maybe innate to your personality.
1: I as well. think part of it is, is experience. Part of it is it's, it's, um, with experience, you, you gain confidence. Yeah. You, with confidence, you're, you know, you're able to both inspire clients and, and people that are around you. And, yeah. And I'm, Willing, easily willing to stand up and and fight for what needs to happen. Sure. I see things going off the rails in another department and it's. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's going to it's going to impede my ability to do my work.
0: Yeah. Well, that's something I think so many lighting designers have in common. I and, you know, I was taught this sort of in the dance touring world, but I've seen every other successful lighting designer that I know sort of come to the same conclusion which is we have to look out for other departments uh making uh the wrong choice or making choices that will put too many resources In their corner, because then we won't be able to do our complete
1: jobs. Absolutely. Or you'll, you'll, you will, they will have squandered time that you really desperately needed. Yeah. Yeah. In the corporate world, the show doesn't postpone.
0: Yeah. There's no, let's add another week of previews.
1: No. No, and that's, that really is what I love about the corporate world. Yeah. We know that on Monday morning at 11 o'clock, the show's over. Yeah and And I love also the intensity that it takes to get to the nine a m show right or to be over at eleven right but uh, you know the speed that you have to work mm-hmm. it it's it is energizing to me and it, yeah. it that is not frightening at any level, yeah, but that's one of the luxuries for me of working in in this environment it just it's so much fun,
3: yeah.
0: We'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Hi there. If you're one of the potentially tens of people that listen to this podcast, then you already know that cueing this cheesy bossa nova music means it's time for a brief commercial break. Aw man, I don't want a commercial right now. Just listen to how much money we spent on that sweet, sweet background music. Well that's kind of a weird thing to say. It must have been at least $42.17 plus tax. Why is he being so specific about it? Surely you must be saying to yourselves this Matt Miller guy is a real professional. I was thinking I might make a sandwich, maybe some ham or- And my, what an outstanding voice he has. He does kind of sound like that Aubie's guy. I could listen to his malefluous baritone for hours on end. You know, Aubie's, we have the meats. Ooh, I really want a sandwich right now. But did you know that Matt Miller is also a real life professional lighting designer with almost two decades of experience in the industry and that he offers one-on-one training in Vectorworks Spotlight? I thought he was just on that podcast. Vectorworks Spotlight is the leading CAD software program in the arts and entertainment industry and a crucial part of any lighting designer's workflow. Oh, I see what he's doing here. So whether you're a student just starting out your Vectorworks journey or a seasoned professional looking to sharpen your drafting skills, why not consider reaching out to book a training session with Matt today? If you can manage making it through one of his podcasts without wanting to Vincent Van Gogh yourself, then chances are you might actually enjoy learning from Matt in a real life scenario. What does Vincent Van Gogh yourself mean? Believe it or not, after 15 plus years of drafting with Vectorworks, Matt pretty much mostly knows what he's doing. Oh, God. I just Googled it and it says Vincent Van Gogh cut off his own ear. Details can be found at www.mmiller-lighting.com. Or feel free to reach out to Matt directly at m.miller.lighting at gmail.com. Really? We're not going to talk about Vincent Van Gogh. We're just going to let that go by with no discussion. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please use those thumbs to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast directory of your choice. You're sick, buddy. You know that? You are really sick. And now let's use this smooth bossa nova music to play us back to our show. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about that. Uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people listening to this might not uh, have a clear understanding of what the kind of the project timeline is for mm-hmm. a large scale corporate show like that. You know, in a lot of ways it's months, but also in a lot of ways it's it's just a few weeks, right? So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about uh, you know an overview of sort of soup to nuts what uh, you know what a typical project for Microsoft might look like for you yeah. that involves maybe a keynote and an expo.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the project it may be something that's on the books as a um, annual event. Yeah, um, but it wasn't always that way because somewhere along the line, all of these annual shows were new at one point. Right? Sure. Yeah. A phone call yeah. would come in and and they would say, "Okay, we're developing a project. So you're you're trying to quantify what is it? It's what do you really need to know? You need to know dates. Yeah." So you can you can presume availability and you can start to put the team together. You need to know the venue. Mm-hmm. You hope to know the venue. You might not know a venue. You might you might say, you know what? We're talking New York and we're talking these four theaters and uh, possibly a convention center, mm. or um, we're talking these halls in the one of these convention centers and possibly a theater. But that's giving you an overall level of the show, a scale of the show. Yeah, that makes sense. And so all this is ha- this happens over one or two phone calls, quite honestly, or, yeah. um, or not even it might be a 10 minute, it might be a two minute phone call. I'm just going, so here's here's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and here's here's the team. So the next part is who's the team? Who yeah. what's the creative team on this? Because that's that's where you'll really start to dive in and, and who's scenic designer and who's who's the rigging vendor and who who are the key players on this and who yeah. My instant reaction is, okay, so I'm penciling in who my head electrician is and who my programmer is going to be. And what associate designers do we need on the show? What assistant designers do we need on the show? What scale is it? Sure. So you put all that together. If you're lucky, you're in very early on the creative discussions and you really are helping uh, develop what the show is. Yeah. Helping develop what the scenic is, the the look. Is it an end? So let's take it an arena show. Is it an end stage? Is it a center stage? What, what and that's gonna be determined by seat count. Yeah. Do
3: you
1: need, do you need fourteen thousand five hundred? Put it at the end. You need seventeen, eight, seventeen, or eighteen thousand. It's gotta go in the center. Yeah. And you know, interestingly, mm-hmm. you might do two or three different designs um before that is found out, even though with a little experience, you know, It's an end stage. Yeah. It's not as always cut and dry as what I just said. It's just, that's what will be the outcome. Mm -hmm. So the next step for me is figuring out how to, how to pull it into a budget really quickly. Yeah. Um, And we do two things. We need the scenic design. We need the base scenic design. Mm -hmm. We need, where's the stage? What's the size of the stage? What are the, what's the screen configuration? Um, The Microsoft show, as you know, the screen, the screens are paramount for, Um, for the audience to, to see and to see PowerPoint and knowledge. So they're, they're part of the presentation, but they can also be part of the scenic. So we're, we're looking at that. How did, how does that all come together? And then how, how can we build in with a scenic designer, other backgrounds that are purely scenic, even if they're led based or projection based.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, scenic is developing their package mm-hmm. um, we get a base ground plan we always do a initial truss layout yeah and then from that an equipment list and so there are, there are some requirements on the show you have to light the stage for camera yeah um we determine at this point are we lighting the audience for camera are we lighting the entire arena or uh, what are what um, what is what are the other scenic lighting needs? What are the effects needs? Yeah, I've got a list of things that that go into the design of a show. It's it's yeah, and how does this support the need of the show? And that sort of you know it takes you back to the theater training. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to say it says intense as reading a play and and pulling out a visual image and understanding the quality of light that is going to reach down and touch the actor at that moment in the show sure it's not that but on a corporate event on a large corporate event lighting a lot of lighting is scenic a lot of uh, you want to do the pull away shot and you want to do the live shot you want to have that that interest so i'm i'm building a shop order by purpose really Yeah, that that x amount of gear is for the video look on stage. X amount Mm -hmm. of gear is for just pure effects. X amount of gear is for audience lighting. Yeah, Um, and at the same time, we're we're developing a a truss layout, and that truss layout for me is really part of the scenery of the room. Yeah, we're we're creating an architecture to, to an architectural ceiling, hopefully that plays well and and really works and inspires the scenic designer who says oh you know i I love that look right let me let me start to build that now into the ground plan or that ground plan will have inspired the trust layout yeah i will often be inspired by the ground plan to create Mm -hmm. the position the trust layout overhead yeah but those two go out so uh we send Trust out to our rigging vendor. Mm -hmm. They they figure what that cost is. We Mm -hmm. send the gear list out to the shop, and we we get a a a rental cost on that. Mm -hmm. And from that, we're also dealing with production labor. To understand, you know, is this what have we drawn? We've drawn you've drawn a a rig that requires a production electrician plus three three assistants plus a programmer and we need a media operator. We need a media assistant. I right. have an assistant on the show because it's that big, mm-hmm. but that's all done fairly quickly yeah. so that we can get to our first round of budgets yeah. and, and understand are we in the ballpark? Yeah. So from there, we will go into fairly intense budget meetings. Yeah. We'll literally outline what everything is for sure uh, we'll start to make the cuts and s- that still leave us with the show yeah that's required and everybody's protecting their budget there's no question about that we sure we um we've overstated probably by just a tiny bit what the rental is going to be because mm-hmm. you, you always need spares and you never you know the, the difference between i uh, i think reaching back into my theatrical training yeah where every light you know it's truly thought out because it, when i put it down on paper every light has a primary purpose yeah there is there is a focus in my mind for every fixture that's going to go up there and and as you know most of what we're doing now is automated yeah so there's the primary focus and there's often a secondary focus and sure. every, every now and then we'll have then then how how does that play off into position three four five and six and effect so yeah you know, it's it's lighting so important that, that way, and filling the space. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I will do that with just scratches on paper. There was a time that I would plot a lot of this out mm-hmm. um and just work on the drafting table. Now it's everything's done on Vectorworks, but yeah. for me, it could be Vectorworks with a note that says, "You know, there are twenty-two Mac profiles sitting on this truss, and there are sure. four racks, and there's six here, and there's six here, and." And that's how the the counts get made,
3: yeah, you know that's
1: really where the design begins and as and this takes me back to I was really a shitty assistant um, <laughs> as you know, I draft a hundred percent of my work, yeah, and I do that because it really is how the design gets built, yeah, it's moving the fixtures and now moving everything in three d and seeing. Seeing the shots and seeing sure. the backgrounds and doing that, so mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll hand off some things to get cleaned up yeah. once we're once we're ready to fly. But really, for me, the it's more than just handing off a sheet of paper to say, okay, there are eight fixtures on this truss, and they're mm-hmm. therefore the front light and the backlight system is here, and the audience wash is over here. Mm-hmm. I take that ownership. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also how I learn the design. It's how I create it. you create design. You learn the design in the same way.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, once you're once we're budgeted and we've written off on budgets, then it's then you start to we we do a fully developed plot.
3: Yeah, sure. Fully
1: developed plot goes off to our head electrician, who then engineers the entire system, mm-hmm. and we start to negotiate space on trust with audio and video, and right. we start to rearrange all of the hangs because the projection system is now in front of you or it's an RP system or mm-hmm. you then start to work with you, with the other team and people you've got relationships with. That's no different than I think any, any project we do in the theater anywhere else. It's, yeah, of course, you know, it, it's the collaboration. Yeah. And it's the one thing that all these projects have in common is we, we collaborate. I am always thankful for the team that I'm surrounded by, but, not just our our team that's devoted to lighting, but rigging and audio and video and yeah. We work with wonderful people, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, we have a tremendous group of of people that we work with that are there really as as such ultimate support for success for me. Yeah. You know, and, and for all of us. So it, it's that's, that's the pleasure yeah then again the the show goes dormant for a while um in that um budgets are bought off on designs are bought off on mm-hmm. You're, most of the questions are answered um, sure by the by your electrician you've got all the mistakes you've made pointed out as as boldly as they possibly can <laughs> on the plot and yeah. you know, explaining how you misnumbered a, a pipe backward and, and <laughs> and you know or or missing missing gear yeah then we put the show in yeah that's the period that i'm walking around sort of looking and and saying okay so this is what i wrought. yeah Um, and you know we've gotten into the habit certainly with now with my capell as the show gets checked out yeah positions so we, we we check the system on the ground yeah and then it flies up as the sh- as the show flies up and gets replugged in. Yeah. He has the initial focus building. Yeah. So by the time by the third day of load in, the entire system is up and the show is lit. Yeah. There's one look and it never goes off. When people walk in, there is a sense of ease because they're looking at they're going, wow, this this looks like something nice. It may have nothing to do with what we're going to do, but it looks like something. And from something, you can create more things. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the worst, I I think it used to be, the focus used to be the worst thing in the world. And it it still sucks. Sure. Um, And and I still have to go on stage. And whether you've got an automated system or you still have to do a focus. Right, sure. And focus is a pain in the ass. It's just, it's no yeah. fun. It's just, it's lamp after lamp. And and now these systems, we have to color correct lamp after lamp. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so much information you have to put into a system to, to get it to the point that you can begin to program your show.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so all of those things are occurring during the put-in. And then all of a sudden, they let you go to a gray light level. And, and you're starting to build the show. Yep. And you have... Twelve hours to build your show before we break into rehearsals. Right,
0: right. It always surprises me how different that is from sort of a traditional kind of theatrical project, but also at the same time how just so incredibly similar it yeah. is. You yeah. know, I think for me, when I um, when I sort of started doing corporate work, the thing that that really blew my mind was the scale. Was just the difference in scale. Whether it's the budget, whether it's the people, whether it's the venue, yeah. um, and it took you know it took a couple of years to get used to that. But once you're used to it, you are used to it. And interestingly enough, once I got used to scale, I had a better understanding of your workflow. Mm. Uh, I I think of <laughs> this is kind of an accidental theme of this podcast. I think of people that have superpowers, uh, and aside from being an outstanding LD. I feel like you have two very clearly defined superpowers. The first is being able to work with a budget and make that budget work for the parameters of the show and not, you know, and not have that stress the client or the people out about it. You know, I think you have a reputation among your colleagues, among your clients of understanding that if, you know, if Fabian says, we can do it, we will do it. <laughs> and he will ask for what he needs And it's either a, you know, we'll do it and we'll do it properly, or we won't promise that we can do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to me, uh, you know, that's a really important uh, skill to have, particularly in the corporate world. And I see that being uh, a huge part of your success. Um, So I'm not surprised to hear you talk about, uh, about budget in the way that you do and so early in the process.
1: Yeah but it's also it it's it it takes us back to the conversation we had about experience. Yeah. And it's client experience with with and it's it's a relationship. Yeah. It's having been successful at that for project over project over project over project so that there is a trust. Yeah. Nothing can replace experience and relationship for that trust.
0: Yeah. Well and once you once you've proved yourself once you earned that Trust I feel like you just started a completely different place
1: yes yes and and that comes with time
0: yeah yeah as you say there's no there's no ex- replacement for experience but experience yeah i your other superpower uh, uh, that was clear to me like from the very first time that I met you is i feel I've never met someone that uh can make a determination, like a crystal clear determination about whether, uh, whether somebody is going to be beneficial to work with or beneficial to the project faster than you. I feel like, uh, <laughs> you know, we, I mean, you, you know, I do a lot of associate work for you, mm-hmm. uh, which I really enjoy. Um, but when we kind of got, we kind of got linked up because of Michael Downs, who was right. also on this podcast, of course, right. and, uh, you, uh, uh, the way that it happened, if I'm remembering right, was like, you sent me an email with like basically four questions and you were like, you know, the, there's no, you know, yes or no, it doesn't matter necessarily. Uh, and I answer, I, I must've answered yes to, to all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you called me and, uh, we talked for like maybe 15 minutes and it was a gig that Downs was doing the scenic, uh, production design work for, you couldn't be there uh, and Chris Collins was doing the uh, the keynote and long story short, like we had a very short phone call and you were like, yeah, OK, I think you'll work. And like and and then off I went and I'd never I'd never had a phone call like that before. You know, it was always on a much smaller budget and a much smaller scale, you know, and here I was. And that was the first time I ever worked on a really, truly large corporate show and i thought like he he just we only talked for 15 minutes and he wants me to go do this gig like what did i say you know but (laughs) i see that being a reoccurrence in your life uh uh and and your network the people i've met that are in your network they're all incredible you
3: know
1: yeah i feel very fortunate for that yeah um i don't know that it's any great innate ability to understand people's abilities i haven't level of trust in in one recommendation from michael downs yeah or recommendations for so everybody that that works for this has come in because of a recommendation um i don't know that anybody has ever come in on a cold call other than chris collins on a a, can i work with you someday yeah Um, and that worked out so yeah you know it it's it takes me back to i was a shitty assistant yeah yeah so i don't treat people as assistants. Yeah. I I give you guys a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, and I want to see you sort of own that responsibility because if you have that, you know, it's easy to sit in the second seat and watch the things around you dissolve into chaos and not have to deal with it. Right. But if you're in the first seat and you have to deal with it, it's because you have the responsibility, you, you take that on, you wreck everybody. Tyler, yeah. the Tyler two, the you know, right, the, yeah. the entire group um, takes that to heart and yeah. I'll come in and we'll, we'll, we'll walk over and, and look at positions. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, reminded the other day, let's see, who was it? Um, LB was yeah walking through a, a sh- project with me and, and I'm, I'm looking and I think he had done some drafting on it because we'd handed off the drafting to all the different venues to everybody. Yeah. And we're looking at the psych position and the and the footlight position of the psychs, and we're just going, "Did I draw it like this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this LB is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking around, going, "Well." And neither of us had the and the plans were on the computer somewhere. Sure, and we, yeah. I, I said, "There's no reason to go look at the plans because it doesn't matter whether I drew it or you drew it. It's not going to work. We have to fix it." And what I loved was. He's looking around and, and our, our rigor is standing next to us. And between the three of us, mm-hmm. we know it's not going to work, right? We know something's going to change yeah. and we're trying to figure out what is the, what is the best change? What gets us the best look start there Yeah. and then we just change it yeah. and, and take the responsibility on it's not mistakes are made. Sure, and you know we. I know what happened on that particular time. They couldn't get the point we wanted, so oh, okay. We but we figured out. So here's the solution, and and you know, honestly, the rigger turned and said, "I, I honestly didn't know you were lighting from the ground, and it, it's fine." Sure, LB took the responsibility of of okay. Here's the here's the solution. Great, let's move on.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: and I I love that. I love having people take that ownership.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, maybe one of the first uh, exhibit hall gigs I did for you, you were very, you know, it went well, the client was happy, Mm -hmm. the room looked good, and you were, I think, next door in an arena, and what you said to me was, uh, uh, you've done a great job because I didn't get a phone call, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Nobody's calling me in the arena and saying, Matt's really screwing this up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That takes me back to years ago with Collins, where somebody said he's fantastic you can send him on any show and that was the greatest compliment i could get right because if he's on the show it may either means i'm somewhere else in those days right and if somewhere else might be i'm with my family somewhere right
3: yeah i don't want to come in
1: that wasn't part of the plan for this and so to have you guys succeed is And it, it's honestly one of, the, um, one of the great pleasures is when we have um, six or eight of you guys together. Yeah. And we're on a big show. And the general conversation around the client table is, lighting's just great. Yeah. We're, how do you put together a team like this? Yeah. You get along. Yeah. There's, again, it's fun. Mm-hmm. There's respect between all of you. Mm-hmm. It really, it just bodes well for the entire production because we're talking about if, you know, on on one of the Microsoft shows, as you well know, there could be, there are hundreds of production people. Hundreds. Yeah. They don't need a squabble at the top end of the lighting team.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: that's
1: that's yeah. not what's going to bring any of the team back <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they want a solution based group yeah and i feel like that is that if anything we're solution based yeah and making sure that that they that the client gets the end product that they absolutely need and want
0: yeah i like the, i like how you put that a solution based group but it's not just associate lighting designers that you have a really phenomenal corral of uh, you know you were talking earlier about collaborators on the show uh, you know rigging um production management uh uh your relationship with the shop um you know you have i mean you've got great partners in in terry and think uh, terry higgs and yeah. uh think worldwide also um red over at christy lights uh is just that's a great shop mm-hmm. relationship a- and also i see your relationship with Brian Schilling, George, on the Microsoft side, and I'm sure not just with Brian, but with all of them. You know, it doesn't feel like uh, like a a service contract where necessarily, uh, at least not not in my observation. It feels more, you know, Brian in particular will come to you uh, uh, or us and say, like, listen, I have to move this booth because of a thing, and mm-hmm. who cares? Like, and we right. just say, okay, we'll do it again. Solution based.
1: Yes. With that Microsoft, uh, one of the things that Brian has promoted throughout Microsoft for years and years is a team. Yeah. Um, And Jaeger Design is part of that team. And there are other other lighting designers part of that team. And there are electricians part of that team and riggers and scenic and carpenters. And Brian is very much a team approach guy.
0: Yeah. Well I I think Brian uh, what I see from Brian in particular is, is just to me like the exact same exactly what you're saying like solution based team focused you know it sounds kind of corny to to jump on a podcast and say like well it's all about collaboration and teamwork but like in actuality it is it is I I uh you know we don't really have time to go into all of them but I I want to mention a few names here Chris Zabo who you mentioned right a phenomenal production electrician uh uh Mike Appel, Henry Sume—they're both great programmers that you work with a lot, uh, and and also in their own right, lighting designers. Oh yeah, uh, Red, of course, at Chrissy Lights, but you know, there's just—it feels like there's just dozens and dozens of people that you can pull from. You know, if Zabo's on a gig, he can send, uh, you know, he can send somebody else. Maybe you get Jen Chesney, or we you know, have
1: Jen. We have you know, we have an entire Seattle team.
0: Yeah, Jen, Robbie,
1: that know how we work and support us. Yeah again it, it it takes me, but that's experience relationships and time,
0: yeah, yeah, oh, it's incredible. you've got just some incredible people you work with, yeah um let's change gears a little bit. uh you mentioned it earlier,, uh, but I'd love to talk a little bit about work life balance. I feel like that's something you uh really prioritize. I think it's important to talk about because yeah. you know so many people think that this kind of career is not conducive for. You know a family life or whatnot and certainly there are situations where it where it isn't but i think what i've learned and i i wonder if you would agree if you just have to make it a priority uh, otherwise you'll end up hating what you're doing
1: well if if the dual life is important to you yeah you're gonna hate what you're doing yeah sure so for me family was always going to be an important family has always been an important part of my life growing up. And and now with Julie Mm -hmm. and you know, it's back to, you don't know what you don't know when you have this first child and, and they become important. Yeah. Um, Then you have the second, you have the third and, or you don't have any, you just have a dog and a wife. It's, it's any of that. But I think what it boils down to is family is family and business is business. And there's always overlap in this business. So you know, we don't work a nine to five. Right. But because we don't work a nine to five, you can carve out some incredible time for your family. You just have to make sure that that balance is there. I could coach my kids' soccer teams when I was in town. Right. Because I could be at the school at three o'clock in the afternoon. My office was four minutes away from their field. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I have always had a studio away from the house and that's and so when I was home, I was with the family and, mm-hmm. you know, there are times that we're going to, we're doing a 12 day show. Right. And so I'm gone. And the, the other secret of that is having a partner in the house that, that isn't waiting for you to return in a sense. Yeah. You know, Julie had a, Julie had and has an incredible career. She's a pediatrician. Yeah. She was able to mold her career into a life that she wanted mm-hmm. and still have an incredible life in that way and 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 raise our three kids yeah. and i could be there to support her you know chris took a ton of weight off of me by taking many of our shows and yeah so he's and but you know you look at chris he also has a wonderful work-life balance
3: yeah agreed yeah um,
1: and so you know we've been able to to build that into what we do and i think so in in the corporate world so many of the of our clients understand the need for that balance in life. They don't. Yeah. I mean, other than on site, they don't expect miracles over the weekend. I mean, every now and then, you know, we we realize, okay, we're in a bind. We need to get this out, and it means it's going to be a Saturday in the in the studio, and yeah. you're going to have to design. It's it it's always been a priority for me because that takes me back to. You know there has to be fun and yeah. I enjoy both. <laughs> I have fun doing both. And so I'm not going to give up one for the other. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. You said something to me, uh, maybe it must've been last fall. I think we were, you know, uh, after ignited, it sort of, uh, uh, ballooned into this really large, uh, large project. And there were, you know, uh, like you, you were saying before, maybe six or eight associates or assistants on it. And, we were talking about just things going well, kind of in the building that I was working in and all the associates that I was working with. And you said something about how, pay me a very nice compliment and saying that you you make it fun for them and how important that was. And I, you know, I'd never kind of thought about consciously doing that. I think just the people that were around, they're so good at their jobs, but they're also, you know, like... Uh, Rick Zimmerman is one of the funniest human yeah. beings alive <laughs> you know he's also a fantastic lighting designer right. but you know so having people like that in the environment makes it fun and I you know I remember thinking like I guess it is a priority you know I'd never consciously thought well we should make it fun it's just it always ended up being fun
1: yes and that's that's also personality
0: yeah yeah it,
1: um, I think
0: yeah <laughs> i want to I want to switch gears again a little bit. We're getting close to wrapping it up. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit of your thoughts about COVID-19 and coronavirus. I've, you have seem to have be having the same experience that most of the industry is you know a lot of work just going away immediately, and I, I'm curious how a, how you sort of uh, are dealing with that um, personally and professionally, but B also. You know what are you looking at as far as um, indicators of whether uh things will start back up and
1: uh, uh, you know and, and your opinions on that so you know you'll remember we uh, mm-hmm. in March, yeah, we started a a weekly call yeah yeah and and we would to make sure just to sort of keep everybody connected yeah and and I was saying in March based on what I was seeing in china that i Felt like there wasn't a prayer for anything to happen during the summers, but possibly yeah. fall we would start to see things kick back in, and that was just based on the on on the Chinese um, model in in how they were dealing with COVID. Sure. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we haven't been as successful. Yeah. So, what we're seeing is, and you mentioned earlier, some of the bigger projects yeah. are going into a studio based event. So we have um something going on with Microsoft that um mm-hmm. Chris is doing that's going into a studio. I'm doing a, a project with Adobe that's yeah um, gonna be a studio based project. Minecon would have been um six thousand or so people and yeah. um, Adobe Max would have been twenty plus thousand people. Wow yeah. There might be one or two others that will go that way but we, we were hit pretty hard I and mean, we had a good we had a good start of year which helped us. And we were in production on three different, three or four different projects that all canceled before um, we ever got to do them. Yeah. I was part of the uh, the Facebook show that um, actually was one of the first because we were so close to that one that we did shoot. We, we took that from Moscone and we put it onto the Facebook campus. Oh, okay. And uh, Rick was with me on that. Yeah. So, you know, where do we go from here? It's um, we need sports to be successful. Yeah. And right now the NBA is showing a little bit of promise, even though they're coming out of a bubble. Um, and, and we know we have friends on that project. Yeah. So we're getting the inside scoop on all of that. Yeah, that's great. From that, we need um, smaller entertainment to start to be successful. Sure. Sure. I was thinking that we were going to see, I honestly naively thought we were going to have a magic bullet. Yeah. So much that um, we were just going to, it wasn't that we were going to have the vaccine, but it was going to become, it was going to get under control. And that was a very naive and and wrong supposition.
0: Yeah, I had the same thought early on. And uh, and yeah, it proved, uh, you're right, very naive.
1: You know, at the same time, Microsoft had... And Facebook both said they will not do a live event until summer of twenty one yeah, which didn't worry me too much. I felt like they have a plan, yeah, and i I knew sitting back that it, it's good to have a plan, it's good not to come in and make a mistake. Sure. I can't decide yet whether um, we're going to see a postponement on that, yeah. I, I don't have a concern that this industry has gone away. That that we've gone into a studio and, and we're now going to be remote on everything we do. Yeah. I, I think that you know, it, it, and you've seen it too. The the interaction of people on an exhibit floor or yeah. even in an arena just it's so much more than the keynote presentation. It is really the the relationships and camaraderie that comes out of that. So
3: yeah, I, yeah. I don't
1: see that going away, but I also don't see it coming back with the force yeah i think it's going to be a slow build as opposed to a uh, and i I think that's it's not it's not months it's it's years i think yeah you know we're starting to see glimmers of hope with Mm -hmm. um, outdoor theatrical experiences yeah yeah you know the other i think new york theater has to open up somehow
0: yeah, at some point,
1: that, that will be a precursor to what we do.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's such a um that's such a solid business model.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not it it's doom and gloom, but it's not doom and gloom. It's going to come back. We're 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 going to have to hunker down for a while. Sure. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what other opportunities come from this. Yeah. And and see how they play out. Yeah. And, you know, the eyes are always open to see what's, what's, what is the, you know, you've got this podcast that we're, right. we weren't going to be doing this if, if we were in the middle of Ignite right now. No, <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> live entertainment, no matter what it is, is not, it's, not doomed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's too important.
1: Postponed, but not doomed. And we work, we work in live entertainment.
0: Yeah. I like the way you put that, uh, not uh, postponed, but not doomed. Yeah. Often people that don't work in corporate theater or corporate events maybe don't make this connection but you know we're sitting here talking about how we love our work family and being in those events are so enjoyable right that's also true for software engineers and the rest of these industries and I agree. those live events are often where they get to see each other uh yeah. maybe just once a year you know yeah. so i think you're right the energy of that it's necessary for a lot of business to happen. Also, you know, on the more entertainment, presentational side, I feel like if the bubonic plague didn't kill theater, then COVID-19 won't.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I agree, I agree. And you know, the people need to go to the symphony and the opera and the theater and off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and, off, off and regional theater. And, and it's, not, yeah. it's not that we need them to go because we need a place, we need an industry. Right. People need that interaction, that, that the arts cities grow because of fine arts. It's part of the, the, the structure. It's part of the fabric of a of a vital city.
0: Yeah, it is. Live events. The arts are there. You know, it's billions of dollars that they bring into the economy. It's not, yeah. you know, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're sort of often we're seen. Uh, and, and, you know, and I, I guess I'm speaking about art, all of the arts and entertainment industry you know we're talking music we're talking theater we're talking uh we're talking live events we're talking corporate events we're talking uh festivals you know everything that you movies yeah movies Mm -hmm. tv yeah all all of that you know it injects billions of money into the economy there's no question about that even though we're often seen as the
1: redheaded stepchildren yeah that's okay it's often it's good to fly under the radar
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i could see that well um i uh this has been super fun uh Fave. it's been really great you're you are one of my uh favorite people to work for and working with you has opened up so many doors not just to uh you know i've learned so much but also i've met so many really fantastic people um so it's really a nice moment for me to have you on here
1: that means a lot thank, thank you. you
0: Sure. Sure. Um, I want to talk briefly about where people can find you if they want to look up your work. Um, you've got a
1: Jaeger Design website. We do. It's, it's going to be under construction, I don't know, someday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're re, re, redoing logos and, and slowly yeah. that's, that's going to be part of the, the, the COVID vacation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've gotten a sneak preview of, uh, of the new sort of, uh, graphic design layout. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, you're also on LinkedIn. If anyone, yeah. uh, wants to peruse LinkedIn, uh, again, it's just been a real pleasure having you and, uh, thanks for your insight and for your time and, uh, hope to see you on the other side of this.
1: Thanks. You will see me on the other side.
0: Good. Good. If You're not. <laughs> All right. Thanks, babe. This has been another episode of Talk About the Industry. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Thanks for listening. If you liked this podcast, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to share them with me directly at talkabouttheindustrypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Fabian and his work, please visit www.jaegerdesign.com, spelled Y-E-A-G-E-R-D-E-S-I-G-N. Or you can find him on LinkedIn under Fabian Jaeger of Jaeger Design. We'll have both these links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Talk About the Industry.